face to face, hand to hand, film to film. Welcome to the Film to Film podcast. My name is James. I am joined here by my good friend Inyaki and Linero. How are you doing, Inyaki? I'm doing pretty well. How about you? I am doing uh, just fine. So today we are going uh, back to Italy, 1975, uh, Profondo Rosso a.k.a. Deep Red, a.k.a. The Hatchet Murders uh, in the U.S. Um, yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk about this film. Um, so, uh, synopsis real fast. Let me know uh, how you like this, and then I'm going to ask you how you, you like the film. Uh, here is the synopsis I pulled off of Wikipedia, I believe. A psychic medium is brutally murdered, and musician Marcus Daly feels a need to solve the case since he was the one who discovered the body. That's a complicated sentence. Working with him is reporter Gianna Bretzi, who hopes for a big scoop by solving the case. When a Marcus's own friend ends up murdered at the hands of the same killer, the resourceful pair realizes they must work fast to uncover the murderer's identity, or they might serve as the maniac's next victims. Wow. Is that a C- minus or an F? Uh... I don't know, I guess. D for effort. Okay. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's kind of all over the place, and I think there's a couple sentences there that are not particularly accurate. I mean, yeah, a friend. I'm, I, I, it's a little bit confusing. I mean, I think they're talking about the psychologist or professor, whatever he is. Um, uh, oh, yeah, that would make more sense. I assumed it was uh, Carlo, but uh, I guess given the sentence, that that makes more sense given the sentence, uh, for it to be the uh, the professor. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Well, uh, deep red. Uh, is this your first time viewing it? And uh, what was your kind of quick uh, hot take on the film? Uh, it is my first time viewing it. Um, I I like it. I liked I liked it. Um, I thought it was. It it was fun. Uh, you, you got a mystery that you definitely want to continue, like follow. I actually thought I, I knew the, who the killer was right away, and then I realized, nope, I did not. Uh, which is funny. Um, but generally speaking, it was a good movie. Um, it's fun. Cool. Yeah. Well, I am a big fan of this film. Uh, for me, this is definitely probably one of my favorite Giallo films. So it's definitely my favorite of the ones. Uh, we've talked about so far i just think it brings a lot to the table um combines a lot of (coughs) um excuse me elements of uh, some of the earlier films and just combines it uh, and brings a couple new things to the table such as the soundtrack um some of the very interesting editing and scenery um and i think it just combines and uh is a really fun and uh, interesting film uh that uh for me just sort of leaves me smiling and uh is is one that, you know, I can think about some of the fun set pieces um, for a while after. So it just sort of simmers in my brain for a couple of days after viewing it. Um, this is my second time viewing it. Yeah, it's <coughs> definitely a movie that uh, made me smile a couple of times. Yeah. And we will talk about some of those smiling moments. I'm guessing those are some of the set piece murders, uh, which are a whole ton of fun and extremely creative in this film. Um, <coughs> oh, excuse me. So this film was released 1975. Um, <coughs> uh, it grossed 3.7 billion lira, so it's very, very successful. 
Um, and it sort of comes at the very tail end of the golden age of giallo films. Uh, the golden age uh, started with The Bird with the Crystal Plumage in 1970 and sort of went all uh, up to this point in 1975. Um, most of the films we've watched so far are kind of in that 1970, 1971, 1972 range. Uh, so this one sort of brings the uh, tail end of the golden age of giallo uh, or gialli to a close. Um, and I think it's a very fitting uh, sort of uh, conclusion to it. Um, the titles were... Um, the U.S. title was The uh, Hatchet Murders. What What's your opinion? Do you like Deep Red or Hatchet Murders? I mean... <coughs> uh, are you dying, man? Are you okay? <laughs> I, I'm okay. I might need you to talk. Are, are, you, are you spreading COVID all over the... Uh... All over the place? I am alone and by myself. Answer the question. <laughs> oh, um, shit. Um, so the title, uh, Deep Red or The Hatchet Murder Murders? Yeah. Um, were all the murders with the hatchet? Uh, I mean, I, I think I, I like Deep Red better. It's just, I mean, it's a more poetic na uh, name. It's a more subtle, if you will. <clears throat> Yeah, I think Hatchet Murder sounds like kind of a cheap slasher. And in, in a way, this is a slasher. Uh, I mean, I feel like if you came into this film from watching a lot of American slashers and watched this, you'd be like, oh, okay, I can see how this fits into that sort of same, a similar sort of formula. Um, but I, I much prefer um, Deep Red. I feel like it's a much more um, sort of evocative title. I mean, this um, is probably one of the most, the, the, out, out of the many slasher-esque you know, giallos that we, we watched. This is actually one of the closest to the American style in in a, in a way. Like, um, I don't know, it, it, it even makes me think of, you know, more modern slasher, well, modern-esque, um, such as um, Scream, uh, especially hmm. Scream 2, where, you know, like, you, you get, the, the killer actually kind of does have uh, a motive, and it's not just one killer, but you get two. But it's, you know, I mean... Uh, it, it has a little bit of it, um, or at least it made me think of that one. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I and in fact, I kind of think the Scream series in general has a lot of uh, Jello elements as well to it, rather than just being like a straight slasher. Something like Friday the Thirteenth, where it's like, of course, we know Jason is the killer, or like Halloween, the big franchises. We already know who the killer is. There is no mystery to be solved in those films. Whereas this film, um, and Giallo's in general, I mean, Giallo, the mystery is pretty core to just sort of the structure of the story. Um, uh, we are, it's a whodunit. We're trying to figure out who is the killer as well. Um, there's a mystery, and, and Marcus Daly, um, our protagonist in this one, is constantly trying to sort of uncover who it is. So mm -hmm. in that sense, I, I do think it is, uh, uh, comparing it to Scream, or maybe the vice versa, comparing Scream to this, is uh, pretty appropriate. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, no, definitely. And, and I'd say like, I don't know, this one, this one did feel more like a slasher than the, the other movies to me. Yeah. I mean, I think this is probably, uh, I mean, I think one interesting thing to this, I mean, it's almost unavoidable to talk about slashers when talking about this film is um, John Carpenter is pretty open about his admiration for um, Dario Argento. Uh -huh. And specifically this film, I mean, in Halloween 2, there's a scene where uh, someone gets killed uh, in boiling water uh, that is reminiscent to this scene. Um, 
and uh, I think he talked a lot about um, Deep Red as far as like just sort of uh, even composing the Halloween soundtrack. Uh, I I do think that these end products are fairly different. I feel like Carpenter often opts for more of a simplistic uh, way of doing stuff. And and I don't mean that as a sort of an insult. It's just a simpler film in a way, Halloween Mm -hmm. is, than than sort of like these very convoluted um, Italian plots. And uh, I think there's certainly room for both. Um, Yeah, did you have any other uh, points you wanted to bring as far as like sort of the slashers and that sort of... um, uh, connection there uh no i mean no not not much this just made again like it to me it made me think of <laughs> and specific, specifically scream 2 in the sense that like even who the killer is is like you know this mother the mom yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah. mom and and i mean like, you could say the same thing with friday the 13th but with friday the 13th it's like the mother is just batshit crazy, right? Like she believes that she's her son, so it's more with it, it falls more within the classic American slasher, uh, you know. <laughs> and we're thinking of, of Halloween, Carpenter, like in that one. We know who the killer is right away. Is is you know uh, Mike uh, Michael Myers, and again, it's it's more of a, a, a just like almost this possessed you know killer, uh, but with with Scream, I mean, the first one is this two batshit guys, but then the second one, you got the mother on, uh, I don't know, like, I forget the dude. It's been a while since he's seen that movie. Right. I mean, and in all four of them, they are mysteries. You, you you know it's one of the main characters, as you as is usually the case for Giallo films, and uh, uh, you, you just don't know who it is. Right, right. And... <clears throat> And I mean, and I guess in this one you have the more of the, I mean, in all the other Jallos, we you also had like more of the first view, uh, the first like person view, which you know they 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 both share that element, and uh, you could say that that Carpenter by being inspired by Jallos definitely, by this one especially definitely is probably has has a big part of Amer- American uh, slashers, but when this one is similar to the American slasher is that the killer is also batshit crazy in a way. Mm. I mean, she seems Isn't... pretty normal, but she's, so she's a normal person, but she's pretty crazy. And I think that's the other similarity, right? Like, right. I mean, yeah. And some of the giallos like blood and black lace, for instance, they're motivated by, um, uh, finance and blackmail and, and that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a, a rational motive that would fit in sort of like an Agatha Christie sense. Um, but in this film, as well as like uh, Don't Torture a Duckling, uh, they're, they're more or less like the, the killer is crazy. Right. And uh, they're killing <coughs> for mostly irrational reasons. Right. Um, in the Don't, don't torture, uh, torture Ducklings, the, I think the, the one difference is that you never feel fear for the main characters. Like the two main characters. That's char- true. Uh, well, <clears throat> while here, you know, the two the two main char- characters, like they are vulnerable. Uh, I mean, I'm, personally, I think, um, like for the longest time, I thought one of the main characters was actually the killer. <coughs> um, uh, the uh, Gianna Bretzi. Yeah, the yeah the journalist. I thought she was a killer actually throughout the entire film. Yeah, I mean, they they hint at that, sort of. I mean, 
I feel like Argento does a pretty good job, especially in uh, these first few giallos that he's done, of just uh, having a few different red herrings that are just enough to keep you a little off balance. Um, like, I was definitely totally caught off guard at who the killer was um, in this film. Uh, <clears throat> I was also going to ask, because, you know, one of the interesting things is, is we've been walking through these giallos, we've been watching uh, a, a few by Argento as well as a few by other filmmakers. How, how does this fit in... Uh, with those, do, do you, does it fit pretty cleanly in, or do you find this to be sort of like taking it sort of a step further in certain aspects? Like, what do you think? How do you, how do you fit this into the sort of giallo canon that we've seen so far? I mean, I think this one does take it a little a little step further. Um, in, I mean, actually, wait, was it uh, was this? Which one is the one with the blind man? A uh, cat and nine tails. Yeah, that was him too, right? By the same director. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, this director—I guess this director is sort of like you could say it's actually on par with uh, his previous movie in the sense that, like, um, it, it everyone is <coughs> is at risk, and the reasoning of the killer is a little bit, or the killer himself or herself is a little bit more irrational or a little bit more of a, a psychopath, which goes closer into the, I would say, the American style of horror as opposed to the Agatha Christie type of uh, mystery. Yeah, for me, I would say, like, in terms of plot and stuff, I agree. It does fit pretty neatly in with those earlier giallos. But I do feel like in terms of style and uh, the way he paces, and especially from the musical score, I feel like this Deep Red is really a, a, a pretty clear bridge from those earlier, more gothic, and I think more simple and a little bit more realistic uh, thrillers that he did um, to Suspiria, which he did two years later from this, and is just much more over the top. It's supernatural. This film even hints at some of those supernatural elements, which you don't really get in those first three films. So I do feel like this is kind of um, just because, you know, we've watched Argento is the most featured film uh, filmmaker in uh, the film to film podcast. Mm, uh, this is, true. And so we've we've seen his first three animal trilogy, uh, Cat, uh, Fly and Bird. Um, and we've seen uh, Spirit and Inferno, which are his next two films after this. Uh, we skipped his uh, sort of Italian uh, period comedy. It doesn't really fit in anyways. But, um, <clears throat> I mean, at this point, we've seen um, basically 10 years of the genre films that he's making. So I do think, uh, I, I don't know, I, I, I like to look at this film as sort of a through way um, into those more supernatural uh, doors where he's doing the basics of what he did in his first three films, but he's also upping it um, in certain ways, specifically through the score and style. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, and definitely, definitely. I mean, the use of the of gremlins, goblin, <laughs> goblin. Sorry, not gremlin. Goblins. Sorry, <laughs> I'm tired. Uh, the use of goblins. Uh, like, I mean, <laughs> it was strong here. Yeah. Well. <coughs> Let's get into the soundtrack then. Why not? Unless you have right. anything else to add on sort nope. of that through way. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, this is the first film scored by Goblin. I mean, what what the hell does that say about Argento? That he's most associated with this this group? 
But you look at his first three films, and they're scored by probably the most famous and maybe the best film composer of all time, Ennio Morricone. But somehow Goblin is is the one that really takes the cake for this film and uh, Asperia, as well as a couple later ones. What was your thoughts on the score and how it worked in the film? Uh, this one it worked out pretty well. Um, it it wasn't on your face all the time, and when it was, like it it, it wasn't the appropriate mo- uh, moments. I like how Goblin is like there are moments where it almost feels like heavy metal almost yeah yeah uh especially in the in the scene where uh the pianist is like investigating by himself and you know he he he's he almost falls in in that house like that scene you get the movie the, the music is just ramping up it's a little bit of an adventure a little bit of a you know, whatever, and then all of a sudden you get like the heavy guitar, like uh, chords, and, and not chords, but like the arpeggios, just like going going at it with the with the drums, and you're like, oh shit, this is like almost metal, like straight up metal with a little bit of uh, you know synthesizer in the back, huh? It's pretty cool. Uh, <clears throat> well, just go wait until we get to 1980s Argento, where he goes full metal. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he starts hiring yeah, so, Slayer. <laughs> <laughs> um, who did you put in there? Uh, shit, I'm not remembering. But yeah, he put some big group in there. Not Slayer, but someone. Um, so did that? Did the Goblin score work for you? In most, in the most part, yeah. I mean, there are moments where it was a little bit distracting, but to me, it worked better in this one than in Suspiria. Interesting. I mean, the Superior score is probably the one they're most famous for, uh, where it's going like, which, which. I mean, it's a very over-the-top soundtrack, um, but Argento is also a very over-the-top filmmaker. Uh, mm-hmm. So a lot of people like that. But, you know, I, I think I might agree with you, actually, in this case. Um, for me, this theme is, like, super catchy, too. I, I just mm-hmm. have it, like, stuck in my head, even though I watched it a couple of days ago. <coughs> um, yeah, and, yeah, there's there's moments in the, the film where it almost feels um, just sort of like a music montage, or maybe it literally is a music montage, especially yeah. as you pointed out, where he's in the house. Uh, there's also the scene that I'm remembering where Gianna and Marcus are walking through the school. Um, mm. and, and, and it feels like part of the film is almost edited to the music in a certain way, and the way it cuts and stuff like that, that I feel like is pretty different uh, from uh, some of uh, Argento's other films too. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, definitely, this is more montage based. More, um, it in in a way like also more surreal with both the music mm-hmm. and without. Totally agree. Uh, I feel like this film does not have a very realistic feel, and I don't mean that as an insult. I feel like. It just feels like some of the streets are very empty. Um, he shoots people from really far away sometimes. This film just has a lot of like close-ups that are like instead of being kind of close, they're really, really fucking close. Like mm-hmm. of miniatures of a lot of different things. Um, and then they have these other shots where people are talking, and the city just feels super big, and the people look super small there. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and not just uh, like. 
whichever setting it is. I mean, even at the theater where they're doing the presentation uh, of the uh, telepath, telepathic lady, like, you know, it starts off from super far and it slowly close, it closes in. So you get to really, uh, you know, experience the, uh, the full theater stage until you get close to the characters. Yeah. Um, okay, well, let's get back to the soundtrack briefly because I don't know if we totally finished up there. Uh, so Goblin, uh, <clears throat> they were, uh, he actually had a different composer do a score at first. Giorgio Gasolini um, <clears throat> was not a fan of their score. Um, so he was looking for something else. So he flew to London and tried to get Pink Floyd to score the film, which would have been also interesting. Um, they said no. <laughs> you got to uh, admire Argento for trying. And so he started to look locally for groups. And so he found a local uh, prog rock group uh, uh, named Cherry Five, who turned out to be Goblin, uh, who renamed themselves Goblin. And uh, so they were just very young, uh, I think, university kids or just out of university. Um their sort of main guy is Claudio Simonetti, uh, whose name you'll hear a lot more as we do some of Argento's later films, uh, who was only 23 at the time. And so he thought their music worked really well. And so he brought them on to uh, or uh, rework the score and add some uh, music to it. Uh, yeah. Um, so it sounds like we're both big fans of the music. Were there some moments that worked better than others? And were there like some moments you didn't like? Uh, or thought the music was uh, inappropriately used? No, I, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think I... I don't have in my notes, at least, any any moments where I thought the the music was bad. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I also am a fan of just, like, the loud volume that these scores play at. It's almost like it's just very exaggerated, both the score and Suspiria. Uh <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, I mean, actually, it's, now that you mentioned that, there were moments where it, it I mean, this is more of the fact that I, I was watching this like at midnight <laughs> uh, that I was like, you know, as we were admiring him doing this, those shots with people really far away and then very close. One thing he does really well is sound editing. If the person is far away, they sound far away, meaning they don't sound very loudly. So you crank up the volume, and then if right after that you get some goblins, you know, blasting off the fucking TV, it's yeah, like, ah, oh, shit, I'm waking my neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I had the same feel. I, I think I adjusted my volume like 10 times while watching this film, where it's just like soft and like, all right, crank up that volume. And like, then the Goblin soundtrack goes, doo, 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 and then I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> it's just like, you don't want to disturb people. Uh, I guess that's part of urban living, too. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it goes, it definitely does the thing where it goes from quite soft to extremely loud quite fast. So, so I mean, in that sense, you know, like, I, I would appreciate a little bit of uh, <laughs> more, I mean, I... I appreciate it being a little bit less loud, but at the same time, I mean, like in the movie theater, the experience experience <clears throat> probably was pretty cool. Would be amazing. Yeah, yeah I, I I bet. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this is like me, you know, me bitching about uh, uh, or said, uh, you know, uh, uh, Dark Knight being too loud. Loud. <laughs> it's like, oh man, yeah. the explosions are too loud. <laughs> I woke up my neighbors. <laughs> 
Uh, I'm I'm blanking on the uh, on the louder loudest of the movies <coughs> by by his uh, Dunkirk. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. That movie. I mean, Christopher Nolan needs to have subtitles on for his films, in my view. <laughs> yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's everyone whispers, but then you got like really loud soundtrack and explosions. But some people yeah, love yeah, that yeah. shit. I'm not yeah. a huge fan, but uh, you know, I'm an old cranky guy, I guess. <laughs> well, I'm right with you as far as being old and cranky. I think I like Dunkirk more when I was able to watch it in my own home and put subtitles on. I was like, oh, that's what the fuck they're saying, uh, <laughs> rather than being like kind of confused. Because I, I did enjoy it the first time. I mean, Dunkirk's probably one of my favorite films of his. Uh, that is, but uh, uh, I totally did not get um, about. 35% of the dialogue, which is a lot of dialogue uh, when it comes to that film. Well, I think we're digressing. Uh. We definitely are, but that's fine. We're, we're getting to our old man rant. Um, okay, anything else on the soundtrack? Um, no, no. I think that's, uh, that's it for me. Okay, well, we were starting to sort of bleed into more of the style of the film. Obviously, the soundtrack's a major part of that. Um, and we're talking about some of the miniatures as well as like some of the big, vast uh, scenes sets that he does in the world um and i think it creates a really interesting world that is borderline fantastical like almost a fantasy world it's like i don't know if you notice like the cafe and place where people are drinking but it looks fake i mean it looks like like it does not look real there's no one in the streets or anything like that um it feels like a total set um and <coughs> um yeah. Uh, what, what what did you make of that? Did you like that? Did that work for you? Did you have a different feel for that than myself? I mean, I... So the street scenes, most of them were at night. So, like, mm -hmm. you can say, like, oh, you know, it's past midnight. You understand why there's no one there. Like, I didn't think much of it. To me, the, 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 the scenes that really jumped out more on the, like, fantastical or, I mean, kind of on the gothic side, too, though is the the house the the house for sale where oh totally yeah yeah yeah. you know uh that 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 scene like like for example when the guy breaks in you get like that close-up of the chain kind of coming off and then you have this gate opening to nothing because you, you see just dark and the gates just opening like <laughs> I don't know. If the, I don't even know if there was a sound, but you just hear the squeakiness of it, like the the creak. And um, so, to me, that that was uh, those were the moments where that 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 seemed most mag like magical. I mean, you could do a, a strong comparison between this and uh, the Politzetsky movies, and in that sense, I would agree. Like, if you watch a shit ton of Politzetsky movies, and then you're watching this. You're like, oh, wow, what happened with all the fucking people? And Polisetsky yeah. is like, you know, there's someone about to be run over in every second. <laughs> uh, well, well, here, sure, there's no one. But at the same time, it's like all the scenes are at night, all the out outside scenes. I mean, that's a fair point. Um, I, I do think you're right on uh, about like just a ton of this film being at night. And I do like the feel that that gives. Um, in that sense, it kind of reminds me of Suspiria. I don't know if that's just because the most iconic Suspiria scenes happen at night, um, but I do feel like his three previous Jallos, uh, you have a mix of day and night scenes, um, so that probably uh, gears a little bit more towards the gay day than this film. 
Um, right. Speaking of Mar- Marcus Daly uh, uh, breaking into the house, it's like, do not let that guy check out property. If you are a realtor uh, uh, and someone named Marcus Daly wants to check out your gothic mansion, don't let him do it because that guy's going to fuck up with your shit. Seriously, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, at the end, the fucking house was on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. And the, and the guy was like, did the ghost do it? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> I really thought it, uh, Gianna was the fucking killer. Because she, she's, she's there. And she's like, yep, the house is on fire. And you're like, <laughs> okay. I mean, you're like, I know. I, yeah. Do you, do you I mean, think that's... she was a killer when you first watched it? Were you tricked into that? My mind definitely went there. Um, but yeah, I was definitely a little confused. I mean, I feel like this film, um, of all the ones we've watched, really does keep up that mystery element a lot. Um, one other thing I wanted to bring up with the mansion is um, just sort of Giallo's relationship with horror. And mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of Giallo is like borderline horror. It like is close. Um, slashers, I think, fit a little more easily into that category. Um, this film, to me, I would definitely be comfortable classing at, classifying as a horror film. I feel like there are more um, kind of legitimately suspenseful, um, scary moments that we'd call sort of scary moments. Uh, uh, although, I mean, I, I don't really get scared at films at this point. But still, I, I think this film has more of those scenes that we sort of think of as sort of like archetypal horror scenes than um, your average Jello would. I mean, well... well now this brings me back to I mean your comment brings me back to the undergrad uh when I took that uh horror genre film literacy class uh-huh. and you know I, I still don't know what the takeaway of that class was <laughs> twelve years later <laughs> but um I guess one thing about horror is you know like what is horror and 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 like I mean, it's Silence of the Lamb is considered horror, and I would say most giallo films are kind of within that area. I mean, there's a little mystery element to it. I guess I guess you know who the killer is, but at the same time, the mystery is more about how will uh, the main character catch the killer. So it feels like a, a police drama, but it's it's 100% a horror because it does touch on to, uh, upon. You know the general general population's fear, right? And, and and I would say like half of the giallos that we have watched fall under horror. I mean, uh, uh, the one with the the the, pre, the ducklings one that's a horror. I mean, it definitely touches upon uh, population's fear, and and this one does as well. Um, Fair point. Um... I, I agree. Uh, I think you're right. I, probably all these films do classify as horror. Would you call this a little more scary in a way? Like if someone does not like scary films and you're trying to figure out a giallo to watch, this is probably not one I would recommend because I do think it would probably scare more people than, uh, than I don't know, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage or um, or... Uh, uh, don't torture a duckling. Do you disagree with that? Do you think those films are just as scary as this one? No, I, I think this one definitely has more uh, scary elements. I mean, the 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 interesting about interesting thing about this film 
is not so much what's on the screen or I mean it's the emotions that it makes you feel at certain moments for example uh the opening of the mo movie which is I, I to me it's fantastic opening you know you got the children's music playing the la 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 while yeah, yeah. there while you hear a woman screaming and 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 you see the sh uh, the shadow of, or the, the silhouette of like someone being stabbed to death and a shit ton of blood and then you know the stockings of a, a little boy or uh, I thought it was a little girl at first but I guess it was a boy but of, of a child walking towards the bloody knife you know that alone already puts you into horror like that's just straight up horror right on a on a and and the the fact that the killer has this mo of putting you know this children's music right before it's uh, is gonna kill that that is sort of like it puts you at a, it creates an ambience of like eerie ambience that you know that it's scary and 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 in that sense yeah I would I would one hundred percent say you know the, yeah I probably don't watch this one if you are like scared of horror but i actually put this one not that far from the ducklings because ducklings also kind of has that uh not as much but i mean you you do because ducklings is about killing children you kind of do mm -hmm. have a little bit of that element as well um it's not as effective as a scary film and maybe that's why I, uh, as, uh, maybe that's where where you're making the distinction this one is very <clears throat> effective on this scary factor. I mean, maybe the other factor is also the fact that this film is very uh, gory uh, and uh, graphic uh, and brutal compared to uh, some of those other ones. Duckling has its moments, uh, but I feel like the horrific part of that is more who is being killed than how they're being killed. Yeah. I, 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 no, I, yes, yes. But I don't know, like, I'm, I mean, like, if, if we think of, you know, even the classic horrors, right, if we're looking into, not even that classic, but like, you know, Psycho, I mean, yeah, the killings, I mean, you, you don't really see much gore, I mean, it's all insinuated with, uh, with the blood going, going down the drain, you, you don't, you don't really see much gore, or, uh, you know, we, we go, back to you know cat people or frankenstein and i i know i'm not i'm going very back but i mean that's why i'm 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 still sticking with like is it something scarier or not because it's gory i'm not sure to me i think the scarier part is more of the imagery you have with the with the, the again the children's music i mean this is probably the scariest of the films we watched and in that i agree in but I do think that you know like the, the the ducklings I don't know if I would recommend that to someone who doesn't like horror I don't know uh, I only recommend ducklings to parents exactly uh, to very to very uh, with, with Christian small children parents. yeah 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 that have like twelve year old boys like Opus Day <laughs> op Opus Day parents uh, um, well. I mean, we've watched movies that definitely are more on the on the <coughs> mystery part, right? Like, um, I'm, I, I mean, the uh, like your example, the other two by um, 
Shit, I'm blanking on his name now. Um, Bava Martino. No, 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 no. This director. Um, for this one. Oh, Argento. Argento, yes. So the other two giallos from Argento are are more mystery, like straight up, right? And on you know they don't feel like a horror. I mean, and yeah, you could say that the second one it's a little bit, but but still they don't. It doesn't feel that much of a horror. Uh, and the other ones, most of them, the the movies we watched, the giallo films we watched are more of a mystery. However, like Ducklings, I, I personally, I, I'm I confidently put that as as horror because it does have an ele- element to me. And, and I mean, I mean, fuck it, even with gore, it has it. Like I mean, you got the killing of the the woman. Well, not to mention the uh, glorious uh, final dummy death. Right, it, but. Yeah, but that, that that is just you know. <laughs> that that's not a killing. I mean, it's almost silly. I, and also, it's not. It's that one does that doesn't fall under the horror, right? Like the manner in which the killer is killed, is not what disturbs you. What disturbs you is <coughs> the manner in which an innocent person is killed, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely, I agree. <laughs> Although in this way, and uh, the way that the killer is killed is. Uh, it's pretty horrific. It's disturbing in a way. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're definitely more disturbed by this one. Uh, but yeah, we'll we'll get to that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I appreciate your thoughts there. Uh, we could probably uh, sort of have that discussion for a long time. I think in general we're probably in agreement. And also, I mean, who cares that much? It's like yeah. I care more if a film is good or not, whether it's technically horror or thriller or a horror thriller or a comedy (laughs) but but i did want to bring that up just to uh briefly uh touch on that um uh anything else you wanted to add as far as sort of the style of the film goes i mean this is a very argento film uh you definitely i mean i agree with you on, on the bridge side stylistically speaking this is the bridge between you know his more conventional films to his like sound and image and footage like on you know like takes etc like angles everything like now now he's he's going for the shadows he's going for the you know bright colors uh the peering eyes coming out of nowhere he's going for all that like this is a link between between what's normal what's realistic ish to you know like nope we are in fantasy world now and i agree with you right yeah this is the film where he's put it all together and uh he's uh he's i don't know it's kind of like his first three films he was still <coughs> learning learning more technical aspects in this film he puts it all together in this jello form and then the next film he just totally switches to supernatural horror uh to something that's not a jello um so yeah i mean so yeah i mean i think the style is a big reason why i like this film um and one thing i really appreciated coming to it this time is the first time i saw this i think this may have been like one of the first two or three giallos i watched Mm -hmm. and i feel like i can just contextualize it a lot more now that i've seen a ton of giallos um and just appreciate um how unique it is and (coughs) a lot of the stylistic touches that argento brings um the use of score um how everything like the miniatures the the vast open spaces and a lot of the jarring edits too i think the way this is edited is frankly pretty weird and strange um 
especially the use of like sound design you were talking earlier about how like when people are far away they're soft um this film it plays a lot with how the distance that certain things are sometimes mm -hmm. people are really really far away other times um <coughs> you get really extreme close-ups and sometimes music is playing other times he's just doing a major close-up to someone getting stabbed and mm -hmm. you hear that really loudly and vividly other times he does a like extreme close-up to like a faucet and then you hear that water and the way that the sound is just sort of really tightly controlled i think it's also very argento characteristic um and i think it's uh notably pretty different from his first th first three giallo films as well which i i tend to regard as a little bit more conventional i enjoy all three of those films but for me this is argento really putting a lot of his um the things that we're going to eventually know of him um uh, for and his major sort of like directorial characteristics together into one place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Okay, um, so let's see. Uh, do you want to talk about? <coughs> no. Um, the, <laughs> uh, the uh, themes of sort of uh, gender in this film. Um, sure. Yeah. Let's jump into it. <clears throat> Okay, well, I, I think that's one of the more interesting elements, and I listened to a few podcasts um, before this, and, and people do have pretty dramatically different takes. Mm -hmm. uh, what was your general feeling before I uh, sort of do it? I mean, I, I guess to sort of outline our discussion, um, Marcus is kind of an asshole, uh, uh, to put it bluntly. Um, uh, he he's has... a misogynistic person, yes, if you will. that is probably a better way to, and more descriptive way to put it. Uh, he is definitely a bit misogynistic, uh, like especially in some of his uh, interactions with Gianna at the beginning. Uh, they have a conversation, and and he kind of describes women as just being weaker. I think was what he said. That, yeah, they were correct? they were gentler, and like I think there's like gentler, softer, weaker. He, I think he's just like yeah, he doesn't care. He, he doesn't want to hear about uh, women's women working because yeah. that not yeah, the, yeah, women yeah. and men are not the same or something like that. That's what he says. Yeah, and he also is constantly referring to the killer as a man as well, um, right? Which which uh, is definitely incorrect uh, in the end of the film. Um, so yeah, what what did you think? Um, I mean, I I think there was um, there was an idea there from Argento, maybe. Uh, I am not sure how much of a commentary, like how well the commentary works. I mean, the main character, sure, he, he, he's, a, he's kind of, he's an asshole, if you will, like to uh, Gianna on, or Gina, Gina or Gianna? Gianna. Gianna. Um, yeah, he's kind of an asshole to Gianna, but he, you know, um, it's like yeah, it's touched upon, but I, I don't think it's it's like that explored. You know, they, they they put they put the the subject there, and then yeah, I don't know. Like it, it, if you missed, like if you were spacing out in that conversation, you wouldn't get at all the uh, the, <coughs> the 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 commentary on on gender. You know. Uh -huh. uh, I mean, there are other moments, perhaps, where he, when he's like also like, you know, like Carlo is, is gay and uh, has a boyfriend, I believe, 
or you know like yeah a boyfriend or i mean a guy who really loves him like the guy the, the other guy really likes him although mm. uh, it's not sure whether or not they got it, it's a guy or you know a trans person a trans woman uh i think it's implied that he's a guy because uh carlo calls himself uh well, uses the F word to refer to himself as gay. So yeah, yeah. I'm assuming <laughs> uh, if he's saying that he's gay, then the other person probably identifies himself as a man. Um, yeah, yeah. I, although, I mean, of course, it's 1975, so who the fuck knows? Uh, but yeah, I mean, I tend to agree with your reading. Uh, I mean, also the voice is clearly dubbed by a man, too. So, Right, right. Uh I don't know. Like, I mean, this is one of those where the if there if there is a commentary, and and I think there is. There was an attempt to make a commentary on on gender and whatnot, but it's kind of unclear. Um, on you know whatever intent, he was either he was both too subtle and too on the nose. Like that dialogue was very on the nose. But if you take that dialogue away, the movie would not change at the end, right? There's no, it, it, it does not, that scene does not affect the movie at all. And <laughs> therefore, I don't know. It's. Yeah, I mean, I, I mostly agree with you. I mean, I understand Argento's point, I think, but Argento is neither known for um, subtlety nor social commentary. So I think. Uh, this film is not promising young women. It does not have uh, uh, it, it doesn't sprinkle in that social commentary in a way that's more subtle uh, or or more realistic. So it kind of just puts it all in the one place. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I in general I'm okay with it uh, there. But I, I it, it is kind of interesting. I mean, especially, especially the arm wrestling scene. Yeah, I mean, like she beat him. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> twice, and and the guy was kind of a dick about it, uh, you know. And, a, yeah, uh, major I mean, dick a major it. dick about it. Yeah, and you could talk about you know like you know toxic masculinity and you know men's fragility and all all those you know like all, all those fun subjects that uh, come with this type of discussions, but it doesn't explore it. It's like oh, it, all of this happened in this one scene that could be literally taken out. And there's no arc for him to learn anything. There's no arc for us, the audience, to think any more or less of him. I mean, like, you watch that, and it's more like, oh, okay, I like the main character less. Mm -hmm. That's about it. Like, that's the only effect that it had on, to me, as an audience, right? Because he's still the sort of the hero of the movie. He's still... Eh, eh, kind of. I mean, he's still the... I mean, we're talking about like you know that he's still the main character one he's the main character i'll agree with that he's the main character he still at the end catches the killer and sure the killer dies in a very awful manner uh not 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 necessarily thanks to him um he doesn't really save anyone sure but at the end of the day he he's still the main guy he's still the guy who discovers almost everything right so he's still our hero in the concept of this is the guy who, you know, like finds out our mystery, and and you know he he, I don't know. Like to me, the, the that scene it's all it's 
sole purpose beyond maybe make try, try, attempting to make a commentary very on the nose is that it like as an eff- effectively just makes the main character less likable and that's it uh-huh well i guess i would make the case um and i don't feel too strongly about this is that it does also show the main character's arrogance and especially towards women um and uh throughout the film especially immediately after that he really does refuse jana's help when she could be quite useful um and she, it's also notable that she is the one that saves his ass um, right a couple times right um so, so uh it's uh i i don't think those things are unrelated the fact that they have that earlier conversation and she is the one that's saving him and bailing him out later. But um, but, but yeah, but I mean, you're not wrong. He is he, the main character. Does he still refuse? Uh, I mean, he refused. Like in that very scene, he refuses Gianna's uh, help. But later on, you know, you you see him calling her, giving her information, like, "Hey, look, look on, uh, look into this one person." He gives gives her the address of the the haunted house. So I mean, Jana at the end of the day helps him because he indirectly. I mean, but imme- I mean, immediately after he doesn't, but I mean, eventually he becomes more convinced that she's capable, right, or someone that he needs. I mean, let's let's start with this. Argento, as a filmmaker, is very good at making really fun set pieces. He's very good at creating striking images and sounds. He's not a good writer. And, 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 you know, like probably some people who love Argento will crucify me for this. But he's not a good writer. Like the main character. I, I don't think anyone will argue with you about that. Okay, good. Because, uh, yeah, the, the, <laughs> the main guy, like he, you know, he, he goes from one scene being a complete, you know, arrogant dick towards women. Sure. And like, oh, no, I don't need your help to then asking her for help. And there's absolutely no reason why. Like, there's, you know, who needs well, uh, no, who needs there is, char- char- I mean, character growth? Who needs that? No. He goes from, like, to I don't care to I'm asking for help. And literally there is no, it gives you, the movie gives you no reason for that. And, and again, that's I, why. I mean, I, mean I, I, would, I would have to disagree with you there. Because there's a significant amount of time between then that bridges it. Um, like Time, notably, but, but what? No, no, events? no, 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 no. Let me talk. Um, there is an event, um, notably the piano scene where the killer is about to get him, and he picks up the phone not knowing who it is, and it's Gianna, and and he's like, "Ah, oh, help me, whoever you are." And that that is what is in between him and uh, and uh, more openly asking her for help. So I don't think it's as abrupt as you put it. Uh, I mean, I, I yeah, and, and I thought you were going to bring that up. But, uh, I mean, in, in that scene, you know, Gianna calls. He answers. Yeah. He sighs that it's Gianna. And then he's like, you know, the killer's in my house. Sure. But, I mean, I, I don't think, like, there is any realization in the acting uh, of the character, in, in the words that he says, or in any form or way. That, that that will communicate oh he's learned or oh he has evolved no it's it's more like okay well, I, mean, I don't give as, as, as you said yourself I don't give a shit who's on the other side of the phone I'm gonna tell you right now I mean it could be a child 
who again i don't think he would seek help from a child but it could be a child on the other side of the phone and he'd be like hey kid don't hang up there's a fucking killer you know and at that moment like it's not that he's gonna rely on children later right it's more of a that moment just means i don't give a shit who's out there like I, i'm gonna like get help yeah, yeah but i mean i feel like if, if we look at it very simply it's like he doesn't like her he's an he's a misogynist he is in danger and he realized and she is there she is convenient and he asks for her help and then he becomes more comfortable and starts asking for her help i mean that's a pretty clear and linear progression towards him asking for help so but, i mean i just don't agree with the point that is abrupt it started with actually both of them working together they both went yeah, to the and, funeral and then they had the misogynistic conversation and then, you know, he's like, oh, I don't need your help. And then it went back to him getting her, like, you know, working together. I, I just don't think that there's any, again, if you remove that, that misogynistic scene, it wouldn't, have, like, it would have had no effect on the movie whatsoever. Yeah, I, I disagree. I, I mean, I just, I don't think the social commentary in here is particularly good. But I do think it's present, and I do think it. I like I like I do think Argento knows that Marcus is a misogynist, and I don't think he. Uh, I I don't think it's presented in a favorable way. So I don't think it's particularly good or subtle or like that's certainly not why I'd recommend Deep Red. But <laughs> I don't think it's I don't think it's a random scene that he put in there just for uh, kicks. No, I mean, I, again, that's what I, I agree with you. I think there's an intent. I, th I think Argento was trying to make a, a point. I, I agree with all of that. I, I, I do think so. But going back to it, I think Argento is, like, whatever his intent was, it was ineffective. And that scene, to me, was, you know, have it, like, keep it or leave it. Like, I... And, and, you know, like, he, uh, Argento left it there because he wanted to have that very direct, specific point of him being misogynistic, and he kept it. Cool. I, it doesn't matter. Like, to me, I don't know. To me, that scene, is, it, it could be there or not. It, it... All right. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's not a strong point of the movie, uh, the gender politics. We, I, I, think we, I think we mostly agree on this. I think I'm, I, the point I'm just pushing back on is the is the idea that it's very abrupt his transition from uh dis, like totally rejecting her help to uh accepting well it. It, to me it's abrupt like you you have three abrupt scene positions so it goes from completely working together to this scene where he abrupt abruptly and out of nowhere is the misogynist to then once again working together like th th that's it, there's a dip to me and that <clears throat> dip yeah. has no justification like you see what I I'm mean, saying? like pe people real revealing their true character and then realizing they actually need someone's help. That doesn't seem too crazy to me. I don't think it was done well. I think it's a bit clunky. Um, I don't think it's a strong point of the film, but I don't think the basic point that that it comes across is that weird. By the way, what, what was the point you heard in the podcast? Because I'm, assu I'm assuming we're not discussing that point at all. <laughs> oh, uh, let's see. Uh. I mean, everyone agrees he's an asshole. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Some people thought it was a very progressive point. 
like there was a uh, uh, Girls Guts and Giallo podcast. Uh, that's a very uh, feminist podcast. Uh-huh. Uh, they 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 made that point actually. Um, I mean, I I don't give him that much credit. I don't think it's particularly well done. Uh, um, uh, other people, I mean, I think most people just kind of commented on how he's an asshole. I, Some people thought the gender politics were more problematic. I forget what the exact reasons were. I mean, the, the <laughs> I think it's a, the more interesting scene is to uh, to me the one uh, about uh, Carlo. You know. <laughs> Like feeling like a loser just because he's. I mean, he feels like a loser because he's an alcoholic, and feels even more like a loser because he's gay, and that's kind of an interesting conversation. I, I to me, that's probably the more subtle, and interesting part about gender, because Carlos is like all depressed and all that stuff, and then you know his boyfriend actually seems like he really cares about him and he really loves him, and like you're like man, this like if Carlos was like not in the fucking closet uh, and not like feeling down for, you know, being gay. And he actually allowed, you know, his boyfriend to care, care for him and like be his partner or, you know, whatever. Uh, Probably Carlos would be a a happier person. I might not have died at the end, you know? And like, yeah. And, and, and on that one, I actually think, interestingly enough, giving Argento some credit, I think that scene if we're, if, if we're viewing it in the most positive sense, I mean, if we're viewing it in a very like, you know, like negative sense, you could say, oh, you know, the only the, the only fucked up character in the movie is the, the out of the main characters is the one that's gay. And you could you could view it in that negative sense. I view it in a more positive sense and saying, like, I think Argento, like Carlos is just a really bitter person. He's bitter about many things, including his gender. Uh, which is unfortunate given like how much his boyfriend cared for him and like the boyfriend really showed that i mean like he he cared about carlo right like probably that scene, uh, probably the boyfriend yeah, was ahead. probably the boyfriend was the, the nicest person out of the entire movie yeah i mean the other thing that scene does also is um it i mean like psycho came before this and like the idea of like like a more um, uh, a character that has a different um, sexual or that has a different orientation uh, would immediately make uh, Carlo a suspect as well. And so he sort of uh, can, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's another reason why Argento. Oh, uh, like scene. as a red so, herring. Yeah. 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 I mean, and eventually uh, Carlo is not the killer. Uh, so, I mean, it, yeah. it's, he swerves the other way, but I, I, do think that's probably another reason that scene is in there yeah i mean if we were to talk about uh you know the use of of you know lgbtq plus characters being used as the killer the murderer the sick or whatever in film we could be talking for like a whole day because (laughs) film film history has not been uh uh particularly good towards uh the lgbtq plus right. community well, in this case carlo is not the killer and it is not an uh lgbtq uh uh killer so uh, we can avoid that discussion for now i think right exactly uh, although in, but you were mentioning it mainly because they did put put that to maybe create make him a red herring so yeah that's possible i mean that would be uh yeah or or even the boyfriend could be a red herring right 
yeah. No, yeah, 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 it's it's plausible. Um I either way, um <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to uh some more of the uh of the good stuff of this film, uh specifically uh some of the set pieces because I think that's why most people um I think that that is where Argento really sets himself apart. Um uh yeah, so the set pieces, I mean, I feel like the murders in this film are very um ritualistic, almost fetishistic in mm-hmm. the way that we see like the gloves go on. There's almost like an anthem uh to the way that they amp up the killings with like the tape recorder and stuff like that. We get some really great looking close-ups of the tape recorder. I I really like yeah. how close we get to stuff and and like how close it is it feels like everything is like the amount of like closeness we get is like way too close like the miniature dolls um supposedly the murders um and so this film was written by argento and uh i think his name is bernardo zapponi uh who was a novelist Mm -hmm. uh, who also wrote uh films with fellini um and he's supposedly a really good writer at like sort of bringing more outlandish uh, ideas into um, into film to be integrated better, um, and him and Argento basically brainstormed different ways or murders that are painful injuries that people can actually relate to, mm. uh, in the sense that like most people have not suffered um, a gun injury, and so he didn't want to put that in. Or at least in 1975, most people well, had not suffered a gun injury. So, um, <clears throat> and I think that really shows in some of these kills. Um, yeah, did you have any thoughts on uh, you wanted to share about that stuff before we sort of just dive through each of them? No, let's jump jump into it. Okay. So I have six set pieces here. There are five kills in the whole film. Uh, the first one is the psychic, um, mm-hmm. which is very. I thought this one was interesting um, because it's very sudden, and then there's almost like a pause to it. Uh, and we switch to um, our lead Marcus's view uh, with Carlo, and then we see the rest of the kill happen, um, mm-hmm. and Marcus sort of takes over. Um, the second one is the suspense scene where he's playing the piano. Um, third is the author. Fourth is the professor with the uh, doll puppet. Uh, fifth is Carlo, and sixth is Carlo's mom. Uh, we, First kill, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, that's a, Second let's, kill? No, let's, let's, okay. Yeah, let's do it in order if you want. Okay. Um, so, uh, first kill, thoughts. It was the psychic. Um, it's very sudden. Uh, like, uh, she she has psychic abilities, so obviously she needs to go first. It's, it's very easy to tell that she's going to be the first to go. Um, and she senses something outside, and all of a sudden the door just swings open, and uh, she gets uh, killed goblin soundtrack starts playing um <laughs> thoughts i mean very effective i mean that cleaver you you can see the the mark that it leaves on her or hatchet whichever you call it i think it's a cleaver basically right i i think it's a cleaver too yeah yeah like it leaves it leaves like a very clear mark on her body uh the set itself is beautiful uh i mean her place with all those weird paintings of people like screaming, which is kind of uh, strange, uh, and at the same time very clean, uh, you know, classic nineteen seventies uh, layout of a building with a giant white shell. Uh, 
I mean, you know, you, you got a lo- beautiful <laughs> style, beautiful apartment. Uh, the 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 movie explores it very well before she's killed. Um, and then, of course, uh, after you you get to breathe and and listen to uh, Carlo and uh, shit, Marcos is his name. Mar- Mar- Marcus. Marcus. Uh, yeah, you have Mar- Carlos and Marcus uh, talking. You know, and then you see her being, uh, like her throat being cut with glass. Very, very nice, very classy. I mean, very, yeah. very I mean, That's kind of the the first. That's very similar to the first one in Suspiria too. Yeah, it's like someone's head goes through glass and they get cut. <coughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It's very. Um, this might be one of the weaker of the kills, but it's still a good one, uh, and it still sort of works in the themes. I mean, let's talk a bit about like. The twist of this too uh did you see that twist coming like uh because this one really ties in with that first kill where we go through that hallway and uh marcus thinks he sees something uh something's different when he comes back yeah the, the, the painting and actually he was looking mm-hmm. at a mirror yeah and he was seeing the actual killer yeah um yeah were you a fan of that <clears throat> the way they did that yeah no i thought i thought i mean if we're talking about writing that that's part that's that was a good callback right like uh him figuring out. Wait a minute, Carlos was with me in the, when the first murder happened. So going back and realizing, oh, it was the mirror. I mean, at the same time though, Marcus then comes off as kind of an, an idiot because he's like, oh, now that I know it's a mirror, I know who the killer was. <laughs> so it's, I don't know, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's a good callback. It's a good. It, it closes up the the movie pretty well. Or the plot. Yeah, I, I think it's one of the best Giallo, uh, clever endings. Along with Bird, I think those two are both really good. Um, and, I mean, like, literally you can pause the film at that moment and she is there. And you can see the killer there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I appreciated that. There's no cheating involved at all. Uh, so it's totally possible to figure out who the killer is. But it's so fast that I, I don't know very many people that have been able to actually see who the <coughs> killer is. Um, well, I mean, plot, and I was going to say plot-wise, uh, b- because you do get to see uh, Carlos' mother in other scenes, both on the phone as well as in person. Mm-hmm. She's one of those that you really don't think she's the killer, because it's <clears throat> just like this kooky old lady. Mm-hmm. That just keeps thinking he's an engineer. Yeah. Uh, oh, the engineer. Yeah. And it's like, no, I'm a pianist. An engineer and a pianist. What a wonderful <laughs> uh, combination. combination. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like you don't, you you honestly just don't think twice. You're almost like, uh, when is this weird lady scene going to be over? Oh, I mean, I was enjoying it. It was really silly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, any last thoughts on the first kill? <coughs> no. <laughs> All right. So um, the second one, this isn't actually a kill, but I put it in there because I thought it was still kind of a neat set piece where um, Marcus plays the piano mm-hmm. and uh, the killer's anthem starts to play. Uh, thanks to a news story published by Gianna that basically outs him as saying that he may know who the killer is. Right. <laughs> um, and uh, there's a lot of extreme close-ups here. I think this one, we're getting more of the extreme close-ups than the first one. And <clears throat> he's basically playing the piano um, and trying to arm himself and get ready. And so the phone rings, and he shuts the door really fast. A lot of cool POVs. Um, I liked some of the shots where they sort of uh, scroll through his apartment and just uh, the camera just sort of glides along the floor 
mm-hmm. and it ties his uh, place being broken into uh, to uh, to like him playing the piano. Uh, what were your thoughts on this one? Oh, I, I mean, as a as a scary scene per se, uh, I or not scary, but like as a as a murder or you know like. Uh, you know, I didn't think much of it, but stylistically, it was a very cool scene. I mean, uh, between because you literally have, I mean, you have uh, uh, close-ups of not just close-ups, but I mean, impossible close-ups of you know the piano strings as he's playing the the keys, you know, the fingers uh, uh, while you have the killer w- walking through the through the roof. Um, and then, as you mentioned, the, the, the tape recorder, all those close-ups are very neat and very uh, they're edited really well to go with the music that he, he, he's, he's both playing and writing. I mean, even the music sheet. It, it's, it's a very beautiful scene in general. Um, right, right, on, and right until, you know, the, the, the killer makes itself more apparent like when uh-huh. you know once once he shuts the door and he gets a phone call and you know once the plot starts uh it, it becomes more standard but before that just the the setup of him i mean just him playing the piano alone and and all those close-ups of especially the music sheet to me that, that was a, just very very cool yeah it's a very suspenseful scene. It, it feels like a very uh, Hitchcockian scene, just in the sense that you feel the danger to the uh, protagonist right. and stuff like that. Right. Um, and one thing I wanted to mention, though, that that scene reminded me a little bit of, because I mean, you could say that it was a little bit out of place, like all the st- the, the the style of, you know, showing the fucking strings of the piano or you know the, the music sheet, but it it reminded me of. Uh, of something he did in uh, the bird with the crystal plumage, where you had a character making a phone call, and then you have a close-up of the of the cable, the, the phone line going oh, yeah, into yeah. the street and, and all that, uh-huh. and and it reminded me, and you know, this is sort of uh, uh, Argento playing with the <clears throat> with that hyper awareness of different elements in a room, right. Right. I mean, he's tying in like uh, Marcus with the actual danger that's coming to him. And I, I mean, I agree. I, I love the way the camera just everywhere in this film, but especially that scene mm-hmm. where it just tracks and glides around. The camera is super mobile in, in, in these, this film. And uh, I think uh, it, there's a lot of beauty in uh, that, that style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, the third one. So second kill is the um, author. I think of the children's book. Right. Um, so here, uh, she basically has, I think, uh, a cleaner over who eventually leaves. Um, and then when she comes back into the house, we see like objects, specifically like dolls strung, strung up. And uh, she goes back out to get the cleaner. Um, but the cleaner has already like boarded the bus and has yeah. left. So she's all on her own and sort of like this rural uh, cottage. And uh, it plays around with lighting. The lights get cut. Uh, she arms herself with a knitting needle, uh, which I think is uh, copied in one of the Halloween films. I think the first Halloween film, actually. Yeah, the first um, Halloween film. Uh, 
Uh, Not a coincidence, I don't think. She she stabs uh, Michael Myers with a needle, and then she drops it like an idiot. But yes. That's right. <clears throat> um, and uh, she stabs a bird uh, in this one, <laughs> uh, thinking it's the killer. Um, and then eventually... Did she stab the bird, or did the bird fly into the needle? <clears throat> it's a little bit of both. Um, <clears throat> it seemed like she was caught off guard. I mean, I guess... In that case, it's got to be mainly the bird flying into the needle because the bird moves a whole lot more. But uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe uh, maybe Argento was a big fan of the birds and just wanted an attacking bird there. Um, and then eventually... A suicidal bird. Yeah. She's followed by the killer and she gets smacked in the head. And then eventually she gets drowned? No, not drowned. Boiled. Burned to death. Boiled with the scalding hot water from the bathtub. Uh thoughts uh i would say this is probably one of the best better i mean this is probably my second favorite death scene uh of the victims at least um in that it really sets uh this i mean this is just like one of the scarier ones right like you know she you got all the hanging dolls and yeah and and they're not just in one place, but in a bunch of places. And and you know she's alone, so she's kind of screwed. Um, you get the the the, the bird who, that's just squawking everywhere. You know, squawk. How do you pronounce it? Squawking, squawk, squawking, squawking. Yeah, squawking. Um, <coughs> but uh, you know, you, you you, it's a very tense scene and then the music is playing so it in this one you know you it's just tense overall and then you get the jump scare because i mean the bird kind of the stabbing of the bird it's almost a, a bloody jump scare because the bird fly however it happens it's completely impaled by this fucking needle I know. and and it's just very bloody um so all in all i mean very good scene. I also like how uh, as she's dying, she's writing uh, who the murderer is or trying to. Uh-huh. I don't know. Just uh, overall, good scene. Uh, good scene. Yeah, I think this is my favorite uh, of the kills. I think it's a fantastic scene. I think it's beautifully uh, just executed. Uh, just pretty much everything you said. It's like super suspenseful early on. Um, and, uh, I mean, and then it just becomes extremely brutal. Uh, I mean, just, uh, uh, someone getting like boiled to death. I mean, I guess, uh, like this must be Zapponi and Argento brainstorming like an idea of just like a burn or something like that. But yeah, her face is like really messed up after that. Well, um, I mean, like definitely not the, wa- yeah. the hot water from that fucking pipe. I mean, <clears throat> To to be able to boil yourself that to that level, I think. Uh, yeah, I know. That, those are some powerful uh, heating system there. I know uh, for sure. But but yeah, I mean, it, it, I think it just works on all different levels. That scene. Mm-hmm. I agree. <laughs> um, yeah. So fourth, another great one. This is the professor, uh, who we sort of hear whispering voices. We have a great spilling of the cup. Uh, where he just sort of spills. I love these like little details that he puts in, and uh, he arms himself with um, a knife, basically. I, I thought it was some... yeah. Is it a knife or is it a letter <clears throat> opener, like a fancy letter opener? 
Okay, fancy European letter opener. We'll go with that one. Uh, I my letter opener definitely does a lot look like that, and I do not think I could cut anyone with my letter opener. Um, and uh, <coughs> and basically, he's staring at the corner, and eventually a fucking puppet or, or uh, electronic puppet comes out and starts walking towards him, um, and uh, he gets distracted by it. He kills it. And then out of uh, the curtains comes the killer. Uh-huh. And then she basically beats him on the edges of his desk in a super brutal fashion. Um, and we get some like great close-ups of him just being uh, just brutally smashed. Yeah. Uh, and then stabbed with the fucking... <laughs> what, what, the letter opener or knife or whatever. Through the neck. <laughs> no, it's, yeah. it's, it's a lovely scene. I mean, this is... If this was not my favorite, it is the the close second to the previous one we talked about. Um, the setup again, not a, not as suspenseful, but then the puppet, you know, like back to the your your question about horror films or not. I mean, the puppet definitely adds to the trope. I mean, the, the puppet <coughs> itself is creepy as hell. Uh, oh yeah, and and it just comes out laughing. You know, it, it's definitely. I mean. It works as a jump scare for sure, and then, and then you get the actual killing. Um, no, it's it, it, it's a good scene. It gave it gave me a yeah. smile. Actually, I was about to say the exact same thing. This kill brings me the most smiles and the most joy. Uh, Marie Kondo ain't gonna get rid of this kill, man, because this kill is fucking great. Uh, <laughs> the fucking puppet. The professor seems like quite happy with himself after he destroys that puppet. And then just like that curtain swishing up, I it's, know it's glorious. It's, it's really, really good. It brings um, me joy. And then, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, I mean, like the way he gets brutally beat. I almost wonder if that was a uh, some sort of inspiration for like the ending of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where uh, Brad Pitt just is going to town on the uh, Manson killers. Maybe uh, because because yeah. I mean, I, I know uh, Tarantino's commented on this film before, so uh, it wouldn't be shocking. Tarantino uh, referencing or, or riffing from another film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so fifth one um, is Carlo, <coughs> who uh, basically gets dragged away by a dump truck and <coughs> eventually gets dragged down several blocks mm-hmm. and before his uh, face gets run over. Probably one of the uh, the more like just one of the funny funnier scenes. I mean, I think this one is one where Argento and the other writer were laughing as they were writing it. You know that yeah. you know that they did it because this is fun. I mean, you have Carlos escaping the police, uh, right. and and out of nowhere you get that fucking hook on a truck. Like how? Why? <laughs> It's like, how would this happen? And then, you know, being dra- dragged by the truck that is so loud and the truck drivers, you get to see them up front, like, just like fucking palling around, uh, joking or whatever, uh, without even like without any notice of a man being dragged by the truck and being hit by almost every single thing you can find <laughs> on the street. And then and then, you know, the cherry on top is that as soon, when they notice and they stop and they're going to like rescue him you get the race car just smashing him <laughs> i know jesus that race car was not paying attention um yeah 
This one is also uh, a lot of fun. I feel like this one might play differently too if you knew Carlo wasn't the killer because he's actually an innocent guy that's getting killed like that. But Yeah, no, exactly. I agree because, I mean, at that moment, we think he's the killer. So, right. indeed. So it's almost, yeah, it's almost like we get to kill the killer twice. Right, but, but yeah, if you actually think about it, it's a very tragic death. Yeah, Carlo in general is a very tragic character. Like, kind of a likable guy, too. He seems like a nice guy. He's, he's probably one, yeah, he's probably the most, the, the most normal guy. I mean, unfortunately, he's drunk the entire time. But uh... Right. <clears throat> and then finally, uh, we have uh, Carlo's mom. Um, Marcus finally realizes who the killer is. Right when... And, I mean, honestly, he didn't even need to figure that out. Because, like, she was about to reveal herself to him anyways. Um, and so she comes in, um, <coughs> tries to uh, kill him with the uh, giant cleaver. Mm-hmm. Um and eventually her necklace basically gets stuck in the elevator and uh, she gets decapitated. Yep. Um, I mean, I think this was a fun scene too. Uh... <laughs> yeah. I feel similar to this one, um, how I feel about the end to Don't Torture Duckling. It's very unrealistic uh, uh, in, in like some of the gore effects, but it's so much fun that I can't. This one brings me joy too. Marie Kondo ain't gonna get this one either. It is interesting because uh, I would say, you know, it ends with uh, with the reflection of uh, Marcus, like uh, re- like you get that pool of blood on Marcus' face being reflected onto the blood, and he's just like, oh, yeah. "Fuck," you know, like he he, he seems like yeah, yeah, he's yeah. very upset. So I mean, I I I, I think uh, the intent on that is to you know sort of end on a tragedy where he's feeling horrible about everything that has happened. But the, the, the death was just so silly and just out of nowhere that you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It happens real fast too. Yeah. It's just like, it's like, Oh, through things stuck elevators coming. And then all of a sudden you just see that practical effect. Cause it's like one of those ones where Argento does the close up of it and you see the, the uh, neck just basically being torn off or the head being torn off. Now, that's a very fucking strong necklace. Seriously. Like, <laughs> because I was going to say, I don't know about you, but if you pull a necklace, they break right away. <laughs> <laughs> well, she didn't get her necklace at Daiso. I, sure, I guess. I mean, that necklace definitely wasn't gold because gold is soft as fuck. So, <laughs> I mean, that necklace was probably like made out of piano wires and it's hard stuff. On the hard titanium. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you pointed out that last shot. I, I love the way it ends, too, and just sort of that pool of blood. Mm-hmm. It's like perfect way to finish a film called uh, Deep Red. Yeah, I agree. Uh, just like a shell shock guy uh, there. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I like this one, too. Uh, I, I guess looking back, the first kill is probably the weakest, but even that one's still pretty good, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, all in general, these, these are like some of the better kills you're going to see uh, in general. Um, any last thoughts on those? No, no, I think... Uh... <clears throat> I do have one last fun question to this. Okay. Maybe it's fun, maybe it's not a fun question. Uh, just because uh, Zapponi and uh, Argento were talking about realistic ways uh, that people feel pain and stuff. Mm. If you had to pick one of the ways that people die here for you to go, 
What are you picking? Hmm. <clears throat> so we got the psychic no, stabbed to death. I, yeah, no, I, I, yeah. I, 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 uh, decapitation. I think. Oh, you're, you're taking the uh, elevator death. Yeah, yeah. It, it was like the the quickest. What about Damn, you, dude? You stole mine. I was gonna do that. I was like, I was like, this is probably a weird one to pick, but <laughs> I don't want my head to be repeatedly slammed in. I definitely don't want hot water. And fuck, I do not want what happens to Carlo. So really, it's down to being stabbed <coughs> and going through a window or being decapitated. But she was Decapitation, it's nice and fast. Yeah, but and, and, and the therapist wasn't actually directly stabbed. She was hit with a cleaver right uh, right by her collarbone and like hit like deep, deep in that area, which means <coughs> that she's very well alive. For a long time, hence why yeah. you, you get to watch a whole conversation between Carlo and Marcus. Because probably between that to her being impaled by the glass, <sighs> she was tortured quite a bit. We don't get to see it. So, yes, decapitation, I think, is the, uh, the, 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 only, the only way to go on this one. I, I agree. I mean... I'm sure the family, our families, would not be very happy with the, the uh, our choice there. But you know, fuck it, it's our death. Wait, what, so what do you, I'm choosing decapitation. I mean, if all of these choices are horrible, I think my family would be like, I mean, yeah, you have to dispose of two of two separate things as opposed to one. <laughs> but uh, you know. Um, okay, uh, so let's see. Um, Couple last things to go over. Oh, wow, we've been going for a while. Uh, so if you wanted to get one souvenir from this film uh, just to keep forever, what, what are you picking? I stole this from another podcast. I, I thought it was a fun idea for this film because there's a lot of interesting objects. Mm. You take in some artwork. You take in a cleaver. Uh, uh, you take in the doll. Uh, I like the letter opener. Assuming it's a letter opener. <laughs> I'll keep that the the fancy European letter opener. Yeah. Okay, I'm I'm taking the doll. Yeah. All right, all right. The creepy ass doll. Uh, um. Okay. Um. So supposedly, uh, this was filmed in Turin, Italy, uh, and supposedly Argento chose this place because it has the most amount of practicing Satanists in there per capita. <clears throat> okay. Good, good way to choose a place to film. Like if I told you, uh, if I came to you and was like, I, I got $2 million to make this movie, uh, how do you feel about shooting it in Boise, Idaho? Because they have the most Satanists per capita. Are you in? I mean, now that we know who the Satanists are, who are just like, <laughs> you know, like this lame-ass religion. Because uh, <laughs> you know about the Church of Satanists, right? A little bit. Or the Church of Satan. I mean, they're just like, just like a nihilistic group, but like they're like pretty nice overall. Like it's just like, I don't know. I don't know if nihilistic is the correct word, but the whole point is that they're just like any other religion. Uh, they don't do anything cool. So because of that, I would say no, no. Okay. It's like you. It's like picking. Oh, I want to make a movie because uh, in uh, Salt Lake City because that's where the most Mormons are. I'm like. Yeah, no. <laughs> okay, you ruined my fun question. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? What about I, you? 
No, I, no, I mean, you're you're literally correct. I mean, it's a terrible way to choose a destination, but I thought it was a funny way. Uh, I mean, Argento did. Not, not if, if we meant like, oh, there's the pagan religion that does like human sacrifices and whatnot. Would uh-huh. you pick that location? Maybe, maybe. Uh, you know, if, if you get to shoot some of those pagans. It sounds like we're doing Midsommar now. Uh, I, I think maybe when it comes to like some of those rural locations, that makes sense. I mean, what is Torin known about? I, I I had a, a a law school professor from Turin, but I mean beyond that, I have no idea. I, I I'm not I, I I don't know anything about Turin. I I don't know. Yeah. The um, effects were done by <coughs> sorry, uh, Carlo Rambaldi, who okay. did Alien, E.T. Uh, Conan. Oh shit! Okay. So pretty uh, legit people. I mean. Conan, like Conan the Barbarian? Correct, yeah. Conan the Barbarian. I, I have not <laughs> seen that one, but I know it's uh, one of Arnold's finest. It's like his breakout, so yeah, it makes sense. Um, okay, well, last thing I wanted to ask uh, more substantively was um, how do you think this film did as just sort of a mystery, uh, just because that's such an important uh, part of Giallo films? Uh, this one works. This one, uh, you, yeah. you definitely want to know who the killer is uh you're as interested as uh, the main character although and this is the part where um you know gripes on, on plot wise again writing why is the char- why is the main character so interested in the mystery <laughs> you know like why is this <clears throat> pianist like oh i noticed there was a painting and then it's not there i want to find out why like i get the gianna is the journalist so that makes right. sense. Yeah, I mean, I think this is one of those ones that you're 100% correct. Uh, but if you uh, think about it too much, you'll probably uh, <laughs> reduce your enjoyment of the movie. Oh, indeed. Uh, because, uh, yeah, I, I don't think there's a good answer or a satisfying answer to uh, Nathaniel. I think that was your inner Nathaniel coming out. Uh, <laughs> he heard uh, Satanism and uh, potholes, and he was like, I, I don't care about Satanism, but I'm in for the potholes. Uh, and, and he uh, uh, possessed you to ask that question um, so no I don't have a good answer to that gotcha <clears throat> um, yeah no I, I think the Mr. Elements work super well in this film I think the last twist is, is really smart and I think it works um, so I think it's a very satisfying mystery and I actually think it's a really easy rewatch too uh, just because you're able to pick up on some of those clues and stuff so I really enjoyed it uh, watching it the second time around even knowing that Carlo's mom was the killer. Um, cool. Any uh, last thoughts before we uh, go to who won the movie and ratings? No. I'm ready. Okay. Who won the movie? Director. All right. Um, I wish I could give a different answer, uh, but I don't think there's another answer. I guess you could make a weird case for Goblin, uh, but honestly, it's like Argento is the person that brought on Goblin. Argento made this film, so I gotta go with uh, our man Dario uh, for that. Okay, rating. Eight. <clears throat> okay. Um, for me, this is uh, this is probably one of the few Jellos that I'm a, I am a ten out of ten. I think this is probably my favorite of the Jello films, and you know I do think there's flaws. I I think 
you and I had a long discussion, probably too long of a discussion on the gender politics of that. But I do think we're probably mostly agree on that, where we think, eh, you don't really need that, and it doesn't really work. So I don't think it's flawless, but I think it does enough stuff, and just like the fact that it's just going on all cylinders and the kills are just immaculate, um, that I'm willing to give this a uh, ten out of ten. <laughs> all right, that's good. <clears throat> Okay, well, uh, that, I think, concludes this episode of uh, Film to Film. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. Um, <coughs> you can email us at zafilmtofilm at gmail.com. Or tweet at us at zafilmtofilm. Uh, we will see you all next time. Until next time. <laughs>